This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 24th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Cop City is a massive police training facility in Georgia, and it's the subject of no small amount of controversy, both for the military-style training it's meant to provide and the strange circumstances surrounding the death of a protester there. Cato's Patrick Eddington provides some background. In the post-9-11 era, what we have seen are police essentially getting into what I think is is best characterized, as our former Cato colleague Radley Balco has, of this warrior cop mentality. And these these so-called police training centers are are designed essentially to give them the ability to engage in what I would describe, quite frankly, as almost urban combat. And so the, the phrase cop city actually is being used by the activist and it's it's stuck they've been very successful from a pr standpoint in getting the media to pick up on this Th- this particular facility in atlanta would include a mock city section for i'm assuming breach and clear operations among other things and so that's how the name stop cop city basically you know has come to be and i should point out that you know, the New York City Police Department has a massive facility like this that includes actually, an under, as I understand it, an underground component complete with a mock, you know, light rail station, rail car, the whole nine yards. So this has become a thing across the country. So it's not just in Atlanta. I should point out that, you know, I, I first learned about the FBI's interest in this, you know, through the, the Freedom of Information Act request that we submitted late last year. And what I learned was that in August of 2022, the FBI Chicago field office had actually opened what's known as an assessment. And for our for our listeners, the clarification here is that an assessment essentially is a form of investigation that the FBI can open without any kind of criminal predicate. And so they opened this assessment and they characterized it as a so-called act of terrorism, domestic terrorism assessment. So AOT-DT in FBI lingo. And this was on essentially a Chicago affiliate of the Atlanta Stop Cop City movement. And the Chicago affiliate has been protesting the construction of a Chicago area version of the Atlantic Public Safety, Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, which would also include essentially on the same grounds or very nearby the Obama Presidential Library and the Tiger Woods Golf Course, all of which is basically going into Jackson Park. And according to the FBI, the FBI claims that activists from Atlanta came up to Chicago to help train the Chicago area activists in how to go about, you know, protesting this stuff and trying to do something about it. And I should point out that in this Chicago FBI field office assessment, they characterize these individuals as either anarchist violent extremist or environmental violent extremist. And so what the FBI is doing oftentimes here is equating what I would describe as petty vandalism, you know, smashing windows, trying to sabotage construction equipment, all the rest of that. Uh, And to be clear that, you know, the activists have absolutely engaged in some of those kinds of activities, but they're trying to equate those as terrorist actions. Now, there's a fundamental difference. I think the average person understands that there is a fundamental difference between someone engaging in vandalism on the one hand and actual political terrorists driving airplanes into buildings as al-Qaeda did on 9-11. But the FBI is, is trying to blur those lines. And so, you know, what we learned through this particular part of the FOIA request 
is that the FBI internally was already referring to these people as de facto terrorists six months before the Atlanta Police Department began charging people locally under Georgia's own domestic terrorism law. Monkey wrenching is that kind of messing with police resources in, a, in an attempt, I think, to just to stymie the effort. Terrorism, as I understand it, is meant to uh, project fear into a broader population. And absolutely kill and maim, right? And, and I think as a general rule, the protesters, you know, both in Chicago and in Atlanta, have avoided, you know, any kind of, they've avoided initiating, as a general rule, any kind of violence against any individual. And, and so, you know, we've been, you know, exploring this through the Freedom Information Act, trying to learn as much as we can. And just before Memorial Day 2023, we got a response from the FBI denying in full any records on Cop City. Now, this is after they'd already turned over the, the assessment, the Chicago field office assessment that I mentioned, invoking what's known as FOIA exemption B7A. And they claimed, and I'm quoting now, a pending or prospective law enforcement proceeding relevant to these responsive records and release of the information could reasonably be expected to interfere with enforcement proceedings, end quote. And a month later, the Department of Justice's Office of Information Policy affirmed the FBI's withholding in that case. And so what it confirms is that either the overall movement of Stop Cop City or people associated with it are now the target of an active FBI investigation. And I'd be willing to bet that it's still being conducted under that completely bogus act of terrorism, domestic terrorism designation. There's a young man, his name was called Tort, Manuel Esteban Paez Haran, known as Tortu, boy, I can't pronounce it, but I'll say Tort, uh, was shot 14 times, was known to be a protester of Cop City. And what do we know about the death of this young man and the extent to which people have been held to account for it. This goes back essentially to the raid that Georgia and Atlanta, Georgia police and Atlanta area police conducted on the encampment that Tortuguita, I believe that that's how you pronounce his nickname and not his given name necessarily. But this young man was, you know, part of the effort there to essentially try to physically use his body to prevent them from being able to use bulldozers and other equipment. And so the cops show up, dozens of cops raid this place. There is an alleged confrontation. And as you noted, they pumped this young man full of bullets. They claim that he had a gun. He may well have had a gun. But from what we know of existing press reporting on this, there is no indication that he ever tried to use the weapon. And in fact, According to the family, the autopsy report they have indicates that he actually had his hands raised when they began firing at him. So I'm not aware, essentially at this point, of any civil rights investigation being done by the Justice Department. It should be done to target both the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, Georgia State Police, Atlanta PD, to find out exactly why they felt it was necessary to engage in the use of lethal force against this young man. It's, it's an absolute tragedy. And his mother, of course, has become now, in many respects, the face of this, of this movement, you know, trying to basically stop this. And the more recent developments, I should say, involve efforts now by the activists to actually get some kind of ballot initiative out there in November to try to get the public as a whole in the Atlanta area to kind of weigh in on this thing. And not surprisingly, 
you know, local Atlanta officials are doing everything in their power and the Atlantic, the Atlanta Police Foundation doing everything in its power to try to prevent that from happening. So that's actually in litigation right now. My guess is that'll get resolved one way or the other, probably before the month of July is out. Certainly, I would think by early August. So it, it's almost a, what do you call it, self-fulfilling prophecy. The idea that we, you militarize police who then require certain training in order to be militarized truly using fake cities that they set up for fake neighborhoods that they set up specifically for the kinds of dynamic entry that we try to should be trying to avoid with domestic police forces the kinds of th this the kinds of entries that you would expect in a village or a foreign area where a military is not charged with respecting certain inalienable rights and the response from protesters seems to be stop this and then you have a young man dead by you know suspicious means and it it just seems to feed both sides and you declare these declare these protesters terrorists yes and that at least it, it appears at least to justify more the kinds of militarization that the police would like to engage in. Yeah, I, I think it, it creates a very convenient circle, you know, for the Atlanta Police Foundation, for the Atlanta Police Department. And obviously now, you know, the mayor of the city council, which has generally voted about three to one in favor of, of, of going forward with this monstrosity, you know, they're, they're just digging in basically and hoping that they can, you know, kind of ride this out and just, you know, ultimately force it through. Um, you know, whether this winds up becoming, you know, bigger than just Atlanta and now Chicago, you know, we'll have to see in, in terms of these protests. But I, I think, you know, what, what struck me about it is the lack of seriousness on the part of Georgia officials, both, you know, in Atlanta itself, but also the congressional delegation to try to find, you know, a solution to this that would, you know, protect the forest down there, which is, you know, some of the very critical remaining public space. I've been to Atlanta, so I know that they don't have nearly as much green space as some other, some other cities in the country. But there are multiple U.S. military installations that are a relatively short drive from downtown Atlanta, including Dobbins Air Reserve Base, which is just uh, a few miles to the northwest. And I've looked at that particular facility on, on Google Earth imagery. And there's already an athletic track down there. There are other facilities there I'm sure they'd be able to utilize. And there certainly appears to be more than enough space to allow them to construct the kinds of facilities that they'd actually want to be able to use. But I've seen no evidence, you know, that Atlanta officials made any effort whatsoever to try to engage a congressional delegation, you know, to get this built, you know, on, on federal property. And if you think about it, if, if you want to put this in the most benign light, if you think about it, that would be a vastly better use of resources, and it would also provide opportunities for federal, state, and local, you know, law enforcement training, you know, to respond to, you know, let's say a major natural disaster, much, you know, much less an actual terrorist incident. So it, it just really strikes me that the Atlanta Police Foundation and the Atlanta PD were basically looking for a political fight here. And that there was no effort really made by the local electeds or the congressional electeds for that matter to try to come up with an actual solution that would get this onto some kind of federal property where, you know, the entire issue of damage to the forest and all the rest of that would be completely taken off the table. No effort at all from what I can tell. You said other states are looking at 
either constructing or have begun construction on similar facilities for police. What, based on the materials that they are using to either promote or use in training, what do we know about the kind of training that is taking place or would take place at these kinds of places? In addition to, you know, classroom instruction and things of that nature, there's no question that, you know, firing ranges, both for pistol, rifle, shotgun, all the rest of that are going in. And we've already talked, of course, about, you know, building, let's say, you know, a mock city block, uh, maybe a multi-story building, you know, for breach and clear operations, quite possibly in, in the case of New York City, we know this to be the case, you know, an actual subway car and mock subway station for dealing with, you know, that kind of a situation. So it, it just seems to me that this is becoming essentially kind of a model that a lot of major metropolitan police departments, I think, you know, clearly want to try to follow. I've not had the opportunity to kind of check in and see at this point whether or not, you know, Los Angeles, for example, or Seattle, you know, Houston, Dallas, you know, Miami, other places like that are looking to do the same thing. I'm not sure what the status of their particular training facilities, how old they necessarily are. But this is clearly a trend, I think, that police want to try to pursue, you know, across the country, wherever they have the opportunity to do so. Patrick Eddington is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.